Welcome back to the I'm Moving to Italy podcast. This is Nathan Heinrich, and I would like to welcome you back to Season 5, Episode 19. Well, guess what? This is the very first time in over seven months that I am not alone in this apartment. I just got back from picking up Alessandro from the airport in Venice. He had a crazy travel experience. He was in four different airports making connections from Tennessee all the way here to Venice, but he's finally here after like a long period of travel with canceled flights and all kinds of crazy stuff that he went through, but I'm so happy that he's back in Italy. It's It feels like life is like starting again. <laughs> I, I had survived these last months without him, and I was doing okay, but it wasn't really great. And it feels like I'm on vacation all of a sudden that he's back. So thank you to all of you who have asked about him and who have just asked how I was doing over the last several months. It's something that has certainly made me much much more grateful for him and having him in my life. He's just he's just a ray of sunshine and my sunshine is back and I'm just I'm really, really happy. Now that's what's going on with me. Now let's talk about this week's episode. So I had a really great interview scheduled for this week's episode, and everything was going according to plan until last week when we were supposed to do the recording with the couple of people that were going to be in the interview. They had to reschedule it, so that's going to be in the next season, that interview. And so I was kind of thinking, all right, well, I'll just do my own episode by myself. I won't you know, record an interview with anyone. It'll just be me talking with you. And I had a topic I was going to discuss and it was going to be great. Now, before I ever record my segment of the podcast, I always record Vera's segment. So La Vera Italia always gets recorded first. And then I sort of fit the rest of the episode around how much time we have. And so Vera and I you know, this past weekend, we scheduled our time to record our episode. And I asked Veta what we were going to be talking about, because we had some different topics we discussed. And usually we we discuss a few different topics. And then she tells me what she's going to do her segment on. And then that's what we do it on. Well, I had kind of forgotten because I was just trying to get caught up on some work. And I was just focused on Alessandro getting here and doing things to get ready for that. And and just I was just kind of overwhelmed, so I'd completely forgotten what we talked about her segment being. So we sat down to record, and we're having a conversation. She's you know telling me about how everything's going up in Amsterdam and how much they're loving it up there for the summer and and all of that. And then she had something planned. It was a surprise. I had no idea. She completely caught me off guard. And so anyway, it turns out that this entire episode is actually with Vera and I having a conversation, and I'll let you sort of be surprised along with me because the entire surprise was caught as we were being recorded. My plans for this episode just kind of get completely blown out of the water, and we went a different direction that I really, really loved, and I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to explain too much about it. I'm just going to say, okay, that's just so you know, that's how we got here 
with this episode. So that's why I'm jumping immediately into the La Vera Italia segment, which really is just the whole episode this week. So here is La Vera Italia with Vera Sarzano, my dear friend, Italian language coach, and co-host of this podcast. Enjoy. Ciao, Vera. Welcome back to another segment of La Vera Italia. Ciao. Come stai? Molto bene, grazie. E tu, come stai, Vera? Molto bene. Sono contenta perché sono in vacanza e sono contenta perché domani è una giornata speciale per me e per te. Perché domani un giorno speciale per te? Perché è il mio anniversario di matrimonio. Mm, per quanti anni? Tredici. Dio mio. Tantissimi. E perché è una giornata speciale per te? Sì, è perché il mio marito torna in Italia. Sì! Finalmente! Alessandro, ti aspettiamo tutti! Esatto, esatto. Ah, uh, yes, it's, uh, well, happy anniversary to you, Vera, to you and Luca. 13 years, that's fantastic. I mean, you guys were married when you were 15, but you, you've been married for 13 <laughs> no, years. Almost old. I was 29 when we got married. <laughs> That's so great, though. That's my favorite number, number 13. That's the best number. So it's going to be a great year. I predict a good year of marriage for you. And happy reunion to you. I mean, it's, kind of, it's going to be kind of an anniversary for you next year, right? July yeah. the 10th, the day we met again after all those months apart. My gosh, seven months. It's been seven months since we've seen each other in person, but for Alessandro, he hasn't been in Italy since last September, almost 11 months from Italy. So he's very happy to be back. He's been, when we're on the phone together, he's been singing to me. He, he does this thing that is just, just the cutest little thing. He would never do it in front of anybody unless he had a plenty to drink, but he'll start singing, but not just in a regular voice. He sings in a cartoon voice. <laughs> And he's been singing these little cartoon voice songs about Napoli. <laughs> And about all the things he's going to order. You know, spaghetti alla vongole. And he's like, you know, just, he's just like so happy. And it's kind of really great to see him be so happy about coming back here. Because he loves being in the United States. But... Being there alone for this long, I think, has kind of worn on him. And it's it makes me really happy to see that he's he's excited to be coming back here. Not just for the food, hopefully for me too. But but you know, he's just happy to be coming back. So it's gonna be it's gonna be really, really good. And I think you and I are both in a good place. Now you are in one of the most beautiful cities in Europe, which by the way you and I were just talking before we started recording. I have very briefly visited Amsterdam on layovers, very briefly. So not a lot of time spent there. And it's something I've been, I grew up with Dutch friends. So I've been hearing about Amsterdam forever. And, you know, Americans think that Amsterdam is just a city of the red light district and, you know, legal, certain legal drugs. But You, I have to say, Vera, you have made 
me want to visit Amsterdam and actually invest time there more than anyone else ever has because you and I have a very similar approach to travel. We are not touristy oriented people. We sort of avoid crowds at all costs. When we go to a city, we don't want to just do everything that the tourists are doing in giant herds and, and, and lines and flocks. We want to try to find the quiet corners and the secret local spots in a city, right? Absolutely. So tell me about your first week. You haven't quite been there for one week yet, but this has been almost the end of your first week. And how are you liking your time there, which you that's your home for the next couple of months? I love this country. I love the Netherlands. And, well, this is the first time I'm actually living in Amsterdam. I can say that because it's, it's going to be a very long time. And it's just amazing. It's as amazing as I remember it. And what I like the most about the Netherlands and Amsterdam, even though it's a huge city, is how easy it is. Everything is so easy. It's so I can just disconnect my brain. And that's probably why I like it so much, because I'm too much in my brain, you know, in my head all the time. And here it helps. You just get to Schiphol, so you get to the airport in Amsterdam, and it's one of the probably the biggest hub in Europe, I guess, or just probably the second biggest. And it's just so easy. You, even if it's huge and it takes you like 20 minutes to get to the exit, but you know exactly where you're going. You don't need to stop to read signs. You don't get lost. And the same things applies to the whole city and the whole country. Everything is so easy. There are no obstacles. Even when you walk even downtown with herds of tourists, not once somebody bumped into me. Okay, Or I tripped because there was a step that was not you know, perfectly fine. It's so smooth. It's like Ah, so relaxing for your brain and your body and your soul. And then the architecture in Amsterdam is just unique. You have all these canals and these tall, crooked, ancient buildings. And Dutch people, oh, I love them. They know how to have fun, but they know how to work hard. And they are the, you know, sort of crazy in a good way. And I love how they enjoy life. And I think... Oh, I know you're going to be disappointed by what I'm about to say, but I think this is La Dolce Vita. <laughs> so you're saying that you don't miss the chaos in Italy. You don't miss the, the things that, that happen in Italy. Of course, as an Italian, you have a different perspective. We always have a different perspective on the country that we're from. The same way I roll my eyes about Americans and I'm just like, oh gosh, why are we like that? Why are they like that? Why are we like that? Why why are Americans like that? You sort of do the same thing about Italians, don't you? Of course I do. And there's this silly game Luca and I, my husband and I play when we are abroad. Guess who's Italian? Because we can tell. We can tell for a you know, way. It's not just the clothes, of course. And you would say, of course, Italians are so well-dressed. Yeah, it, it's the clothes. And now that it's well-dressed, it's just a typical, like, when... We are visiting a place, especially a city. All women wear a backpack purse instead of a normal one. And it's just the way they act. But it's not that. It's the face. 
Now, I have to be honest here. We call it the crying phase because Italians are always anxious, especially when they're out of their comfort zone and what they know. And it's not just when they're abroad, even when they are in Italy, but in a town, a city that they've never seen, or even enter a new shop or, you know, a, a dentist office, and it's the first time they go there. You see their faces, they're so scared. They're like, you say, oh no, this person has problems, they're about to cry now. No, it's just the Italian anxious face. Like, and they stare at you with these big eyes and they're not <laughs> relaxed, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> the Italian in the crowd, we can do that. Sometimes I mistake Italians and Spanish because we are very, very similar, even in facial expressions, but yeah. I bet you can also spot the Americans too with no problem. Well, yeah. <laughs> For different reasons. <laughs> quite easy, that is also quite easy. And there are a lot of Americans, by the way, here in Amsterdam, tourists, of course but also a lot of experts, a lot of Americans living here because the Netherlands is the nation in Europe where um, they speak the best English. You can live here, work here, go on with your life without speaking a single word of Dutch. And it's everything is, you know, translated. If you go to even the... the town hall website or everything you have english too so it's really very easy for experts who have a job to move here well we could talk about the netherlands and amsterdam for the whole rest of this segment but we probably should start talking about italy since this is a podcast yep. about italy <laughs> before we get into your segments do you have an italian question for me vanna sure i do so Tutte le settimane inizio il mio segmento La vera Italia facendoti una domanda in italiano. Ti piace rispondere alle mie domande o ti metto in imbarazzo? Mm -hmm. Ok, I think I've got it. Let's hear it again. Tutte le settimane inizio il mio segmento La vera Italia facendoti una domanda in italiano. Ti piace rispondere alle mie domande o ti metto in imbarazzo? Okay, so you said every week I start my La Vera Italia segment with a question in Italian. And then you said, do I like answering your questions or do they embarrass me? Yeah, and before you answer in English or Italian, whatever, please notice that I asked you this question on the last almost last episode of the season so even if you say no i hate it yeah we've done them it's too late we've already done it <laughs> well of course the first answer is no you've never embarrassed me because i don't think you've really asked embarrassing questions and yes i do enjoy them very much and i've heard from many of our listeners who also enjoy them so that's my answer in english in Italian, I'm going to try to simplify it and say, Assolutamente no. In realtà, mi piacciono le tue domande e non sono imbarazzato. Come si dice? Imbarazzato. 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 Good to hear that. Okay, but let me ask you the same questions. Do you get embarrassed 
when I have to turn the question back around and then it's your turn to answer. No, I'm not uh, someone who gets easily embarrassed. Okay, actually I'm very open and I don't mind being asked questions, but it's difficult. I mean, you want to come up with an answer, but it's not always that easy, right? Especially on the spot like this. And I really need to think about it. And then when I think of these questions, I think about you. So what I want to know about you. And then having them turn back to me, I'm like, oh, wait a second. I'm asking <laughs> him, but I wouldn't know how to answer it for myself. But. Well, your questions are always really good. They're always a challenge for me to think of my response. And I have to tell you, since we've started doing this for the past 20 episodes almost that we've been doing this for the, for the past 20 weeks, I have gotten to a point of being able to understand your questions so much easier. Like mm -hmm. remember in the beginning, I wouldn't understand the first time and I would barely understand the second time. Now it's like, I understand the very first time and I just want you to repeat it just to be for extra clarity and for everyone listening. So I'm gonna attribute that to your coaching, your Italian coaching skills, Vera. And because you started studying Italian and really, you know, doing it, I don't know, lost the word. Intentionally, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that the word? Is that the word? Yeah. Intentionally. Yeah. Intentionally. Much more intentionally. And it's about ready to get even much more intentional because I'm going to be living with an Italian again, which will be very nice. And I have. I realized now I had taken that for granted very much. Mm -hmm. Casual conversations where you can just talk, you know, and you're not scheduling your time to talk with each other. You're literally just having conversations where it just can, you know, you could just say, oh, no, let's just talk in Italian. Look, like, let's just switch over completely and only talk in Italian. And, you know, for the next hour, we only talk in Italian. I, I didn't realize how nice it was to be able to do that so i'm really looking forward to be able to have those conversations again in person so anyway yeah i've noticed a huge improvement so thank you vera bravo nathan grazie vera okay you've got a great and very very timely topic today so i'm going to turn it Actually, over to you vera. i don't today we're gonna have a surprise segment excuse me <laughs> We are not talking about Italians going on vacation like you thought. We have a very special segment today. And that's why my question was, do you like my question? Because, you know, in the past months, I had listeners reaching out and saying, oh, I love the questions you ask Nathan. So, Nathan, so I just reach out to them, the ones I know, and ask them, to ask you a question. So I have a list of questions for you today. So today we are going to interview you. I wish you guys could see my face right now. <laughs> I've just turned about five shades of red and I didn't see this one coming. In fact, I just asked Veda before we started recording. Okay, what? remind me what we're talking about again today. Oh, we're talking about Italian holidays. I'm like, oh, okay, right, that's right. I remember now. All right, Veda. This is going to be, so you're basically interviewing me. 
Yes, that's so. What do you want to drink for our interview? Well, I'm drinking sparkling water, but I wish it was something stronger now. Okay, I have water too, so that's perfect. <laughs> this is this is not cool. I'm used to being on the other side of this microphone asking the questions, but all right. Now I'm a very private person. Now that sounds odd coming from someone who's got a podcast about their new life in Italy, but. The nice thing about running the podcast is you get to decide what you share and what you don't share. So I have no idea what these questions are going to be, so let's see how well this goes for my private personality. <laughs> you know what? I had no idea what to expect either, but they were also eager. And those are such interesting questions. So maybe we should turn this into you know a future column, like ask question any uh, ask Nathan anything you want. So. I reached out to all of the listeners that I know, and I decided to just run this interview by asking you the question in the same order. I got them. So first come, first serve, right? So the first one was Lisa from the Sacramento area. Now, one question, Nathan. Would you like all the questions in Italian or English? Okay. Well, since they probably came in English, maybe we should just get them in English. But if you want to run them through in Italian, I suppose you could make them interesting. Yeah, a few of them maybe are easier. For example, Lisa's question is quite easy. I mean, uh, in Italian, so I can try. Okay. In un episodio, hai detto di aver recitato in teatro. Puoi raccontarci qualcosa di più? Oddio. In un episodio, hai detto di aver recitato in teatro. Puoi raccontarci qualcosa di più? Nathan had mentioned that he'd been involved in theater. I'd like to ask him what acting he has done. Because uh -huh. she's also an actress. Well, first of all, ciao Lisa. I know that you're in acting and you're up in Northern California and you're a part of a theater and, and you do lots of productions. And so it's a great question coming from someone who's in theater. Here's what I'll tell you about my, my life in acting. It's kind of a little bit of a blip on the radar in my life, but it's something that I had always wanted to do and dreamed of doing before moving to New York. So I grew up in sort of a farming community went to a school that had no drama program. And had I gone to a school with a drama program, I would probably be an actor today. I'm convinced of that because it's just what I wanted to do. Making people laugh has been something that I've been doing in my family for since I was a little kid. On this podcast, you probably wouldn't know that about me. You, you don't see that side of my personality very often. You, I tell funny stories about myself occasionally, but this podcast is um, is kind of like the most serious version of Nathan that you're going to get. So I went through my my years of school, high school, and then even into college. And I didn't take any drama in college either because I was just, I was working throughout college. So I didn't have time to work full time and to go to school full time and do drama. So that was out. And so I then started my, after, after working for 
a few different companies in the nursery and horticulture industry. I started my own business and that kept me extremely busy for many years. And I started doing events all over California, Los Angeles, Northern California, a lot of San Francisco events. Then I started doing events in other states and eventually New York. And I did a really kind of high profile event in New York one year. And I was really getting tired of California. I was getting tired of the heat, the lack of rain, the fact that California dries up for about eight months of the year and just turns to this dry place. And I decided that New York is where I should be. And so without really thinking it through, I decided to just move from California, buy a house in New York and and at the same time, like, oh yeah, and I also think I'm gonna maybe get out of my my event business that I've that I've been doing because it's too stressful. So I'm gonna just start acting. Without much of a plan, I decided to start applying for different roles. I now I had done a little bit of theater for fun while I was in Sacramento. I had joined kind of a theater group and I was doing just very amateur stuff uh, just for fun and fitting it in where I could around my work. But other than that, I had very, very little experience and I just had a sort of passion for it. Two months of me living in New York, I ended up with a job. I applied for a part in a, a theater role that I didn't know anything about the part. I was just excited to be even considered for it. And it was a little theater just about 45 minutes up the Hudson River from Manhattan. I went in for the audition and read the part and didn't know really how I did. And these two women who were running the production of this play, they were like kind of laughing at my rendition and my my take that, you know, it was a comedy. It was actually a, an English farce comedy uh, called Caught in the Net. And it was kind of humorous. And I guess I brought some humor to the role and I got the job kind of like right there on the spot. I think they might have just let me know like 30 minutes after I left, okay, you got the job. What I didn't realize is that that job that I had gotten, that part was the lead part with 13 pages of dialogue. And they had, the reason they were looking for someone is because they had just lost their main lead actor whose mother had passed away. So he had to, to step away from the role and they had been in production already for several weeks. So not only do I have the most pages to learn of dialogue, but then I also was behind everybody else. So I didn't realize what I had signed myself up for. And then this play was supposed to run for, I think two or three months in this dinner theater. So it was the kind of thing where people would come and have dinner. And then while they're having their drinks and their desserts, the play is going on and the struggle to learn those lines but the amount of fun that i had with that group it made me feel like oh my gosh this is what i was meant to do and i was in heaven because i was in a group of people and lisa you'll know this because you've been part of this and you know what a community a group of actors creates and how much fun you have as you're waiting for the show to start and how much fun you have in rehearsals and how much fun you have going out after 
your production and you know after the show is over and and everybody leaves the theater you go out you know for a dinner or drinks or whatever with your cast i struggled learning those lines i'll admit it was a very difficult script to learn i had so much fun with that role and out of all the roles the acting roles that i did while i was in new york that was probably one that i enjoyed the most because i did it for the longest and although i was in some off broadway plays in new york and i landed a number of different jobs playing different roles on commercials and short films probably the most high profile show that i was part of was the marvelous mrs mazel on season 3 i got a role that was really fun and i was there with just a great group of people and it was a weeks worth of shooting and unfortunately they cut our scene the scene that i was in they cut it from the final so i didn't actually end up on the show but i did voice over work i did a lot of different random things and i was, was constantly doing self tapes where i was self taping my interview and sending it off to people and i really worked hard and i got a lot of great roles and i got it out of my system that's kind of my story of acting and what i really learned through that experience that i'm extremely grateful for for those basically those 3 years in new york that i was acting what i learned was I don't think that I would like the life of an actor for the rest of my life. I don't think I would really love it because I I learned that it's the New York scene as an actor is very competitive, cutthroat. It's it's got a dark side to it that's not very pleasant. You see a lot of sad people in in that business. What I learned is that I love filmmaking and I have every intention of pursuing that in the future cuz being on the other side of the camera being a producer not necessarily a director but being a producer or a writer or of scripts or of of films is something that i am very passionate about and have a dream so someday i would love to be able to produce write a book and then produce it into a film that is one of my great dreams so that's a long answer to a short question Lisa and Vera but I guess I wanted to give you a long answer so you could kind of understand the whole story. That is so interesting the things you've done in your life. So I remember asking you what your dream job was as a kid and you were like uh orthopedic surgeon and then an actor and then an orthopedist and then a journalist and now a director. Wow. You keep surprising us Nathan. Well, that's a good question. It's not something I would have ever really talked about on my own on this podcast because like I said, I'm interviewing other people and I love doing that. So, that's a good question though. That's a really good question. I must have mentioned it just in passing at least once and Lisa, she caught on to that or maybe she remembers from a conversation her and I had when she first sort of discovered the podcast. But great question, Lisa. Thank you. And speaking of what you might do in the future in the acting or a field or wherever, we have Denise, third degree nurse. Mm -hmm. You might remember her from the reviews of your podcast because I know you read her review. She was so excited when you read it online when you read all the good reviews you had. So Denise would like to know qual è il tuo prossimo progetto oltre alla fattoria? 
e anche come possiamo supportarti nel continuare a fare podcast perché ti voglio bene. So this question came in Italian. I'm just reading her question. So very good Italian. Brava Denise. So first of all, qual è il tuo prossimo progetto oltre la fattoria? So we all know you're buying a farm, but what's your next project? Well, that's a great question, Denise. And thank you. Of course, I know Denise and you're amazing. So after I buy the farm? No, beside buying the farm. We all know you're working on that project, the farm, but what else is you know, in the future for you? So I guess the best answer to that question is this. Well, I just shared with you that I have a dream of making films. Well, I think I would actually really like to make a documentary film someday. I love documentaries. That's one of my favorite film genres to do because it's just, it takes a subject. And especially when it's about people or about a place or something, I would love to do a documentary about Ita Italian people because I don't think that there's ever been a really, really good, comprehensive documentary about what real Italians are because we have such a confused idea about what real Italians are in the United States and I think a lot of other places around the world we don't really understand the way they think the way Italians think and we don't even when we learn how they think we don't understand why they think that way you mentioned the farm Denise and the whole point of the farm is that really encompasses so much of what the next chapters of my life are going to be I plan to write books about things that I do on the farm, about farming, about maybe growing um, your own medicine from plants. The, the world's oldest botanical medical garden is here just about an hour away from me in Padova. I also love the idea of sustainable farming and writing about that. And I want to, with the YouTube channel that I'm going to be using to highlight this farm that I'm hopefully getting closer to buying, I, I really, really love the idea of sharing the beauty of sort of rural Italy with, with viewers. These videos that I, that I make and edit and upload to YouTube, I want to be able to show parts of Italy that just you would never know where you were. You would never know that that was Italy. There's so many parts in of Italy that don't look like Italy to people because they don't know what all the different parts of Italy look like. So I guess I, I have other things rolling around in my head that I haven't mentioned that I probably don't, I don't feel ready to talk about yet. But those are the things that I really filmmaking, writing books, sharing a lot of what's happening on that Italian farm on YouTube. Those are some of my dreams and goals for the next years here in Italy. Sounds amazing, really. And Denise also wanted to know how she and possibly other listeners can support you in this because she loves you. That's what she says. Ti voglio bene. So she loves you and she loves what you do. So how can your listeners support you in your projects that's a wonderful question i appreciate that you're already doing it you're already supporting me denise and anyone listening to this with the same lovely thought by being here and listening to this podcast you're helping me you are you are 
following this journey that I've been on and you're invested in it, which I think is just amazing. I didn't know anybody would care, but the fact that you do care makes all the difference. You've already left a lovely review on the podcast. So anybody listening to this, you know, every week I, I ask you to take a few seconds and leave a review on the podcast. That's a huge thing. And moving forward, I'll probably be creating different courses and I'll be writing books and I'll be uploading videos on YouTube. So just watch those videos on YouTube and like them and share them with your friends. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends. I don't want to turn this into a situation where I'm asking people for money. I want to be able to provide things that if people want, they'll pay for and that will support me. Another great thing you can do is to read the articles that I write on All Roads Lead to Italy, because every time you view anything that happens there, and that, that shows Google that those are worth promoting to more of an audience and pushing for more people. So read the articles, listen to the podcast, share it, watch the YouTube videos when they come out, and just just stay with me, because I've got a lot of things I want to share with you, and if you are along for the ride, then you're going to be able to experience it with me. And hopefully someday, some of you listening to this will be able to come and visit the farm and stay there. I want to have places that people can come and stay. I've got so many, so many great plans with this piece of property. I'm going to squeeze every little bit of use and function out of that land. And I'll be sharing it with you. So stay along for the ride. So don't forget to let us know when you open your YouTube channel and everything else, because we are all looking forward to it. And by the way, Tom from Boston, another of your listeners and my students, Tom from Boston, would like to know if you would consider turning your future farm into an agriturismo so that your listeners can visit. So you sort of answered this already, but is this really a plan or you were just saying Hello, my friend Tom from Boston, one of our earliest listeners and someone I love hearing from. Almost after every single episode, Tom sends me a lovely message. It's so nice to hear from Tom. He feels like family. Tom, you're always invited to the farm, <laughs> agriturismo or not. You're one of the OGs, the originals from the beginning, so you're welcome. Uh, I don't know to what extent I'm going to, to turn the farm into an agriturismo because I haven't yet opened that chapter. That is something that I'm going to try to figure out because with an agriturismo in Italy, you have certain rights to do certain things that would probably give me more flexibility on the farm. Maybe being able to build more buildings like build, I don't know, barns or outbuildings that that I probably will need for different things or being able to put little different units. There's this wonderful company that creates these adorable little cabins that are delivered to you and you just sort of connect them to energy and connect them to plumbing and nestling a few of those around on the property for people to stay in and having little private retreats. Can I book one? Can I book one? Can I book one? You've, there's already one with your name on it, Vera. You and Luca will have one with your name on it. It'll be called the La Vera Italia cabin. <laughs> Love it. Uh, but that's a good question. That's a really good question. And 
you know, if I do go down the path of sort of zoning myself or applying to become an agriturismo, if I do that, it'll be run in a very, very unique kind of way. It's not going to just be this open to the public book on booking.com whenever you want. It'll be the kind of thing that's very, very, I don't like the word exclusive because that sounds like you're leaving people out and you have to be on some sort of special list to get in. But I would really, really like to be able to have maybe once a season or maybe at least maybe in the spring and the fall when I think is kind of the best weather in Italy, maybe twice a year we do an annual sort of like retreat. Maybe we do a couple of them in the spring and a couple in the fall where we just kind of get people together and we just have a group of people and you do sort of like that slow tourism thing where maybe you, you stay for a full week and you just, it's not like you're doing that frantic race across Italy the way so many tourists do where you're just trying to see all the sights and you're just trying to get to Venice and get in a gondola and then you're trying to race to Florence to try to see Michelangelo's David and then you know you're trying to rush down to body to to see you know the the trulies and anyway it's not going to be that kind of a situation it would be the kind of thing where you would come and you would really slow down we would cook together we would walk into town together we would maybe you know just garden together put our feet in the stream together sit around late at night talking and drinking wine and playing games and just doing things like that, like just living kind of life on a farm in Italy together for a week and not making it so structured and not making it so touristy with everything, every hour being booked where you could just sort of go off on your own for half a day and do whatever you want or take a few days and go whatever you want, take a, take a road trip and go into Rome or something. I don't know. So those that would be kind of my style my unstructured style of doing an agriturismo. Yes. Yeah, so what are you doing still there in Conegliano? Go and buy this farm already because I'm already booked. I mean, I, I, I'll book. I, I love this idea. So I'm there. <laughs> Leta, I'm hoping to be able to convince you to move next door and be my neighbor. That's my secret devious plan is to try to make where I move look so wonderful that you can't help it. You've got to come and be my neighbor. So don't fall too much in love with Amsterdam. I want you to make sure that you're, you and Luca are like my next door neighbors. <laughs> Remember all the plans you talked about, your books, your filmmaking, your documentaries. If we are neighbors, we're not going to get any job done. We need some distance. I would actually have to disagree with that. I will <laughs> drag you along with me, Vera. You won't have any choice but to be sucked in to this tornado that will be around you and you you'll be zigzagging across Italy with me. We'll be doing this. You're gonna, I'm gonna need a translator. I mean, even though my Italian is improving slowly, I'm still gonna need a translator. So every one of these plans, I hate to break it to you, Vada, but every one of these plans I've just mentioned just by default involves you. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Luca and Alessandro. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. They don't, they didn't choose this. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> anyway, well, that, that was a great question, Tom. Thank you. And um, I look forward to the day that you can come and hang out on that farm with me. And yes, Veda, you're right. Why don't I, why am I still up here in the North? Why am I not making this happen? Well, I've been sort of waiting for the Italian in my life to get back to Italy so we can go down together and make a final decision on this farm. Like I said, that's probably going to be happening over the summer. And I really hope when I come back in September for season six, I really hope that I have some really exciting news for you guys because I just, nobody is more excited and more antsy and anxious to make this happen than me. Teniamo le dita incrociate per te, so fingers crossed. And let's bring to our next question from Joni. You know, I asked uh, your listeners, how should I refer to you, you know, during the, the podcast, the interview. And Joni said, yeah, Joni's fine, Joni from Washington. But then when she signed off the email, she signed as your biggest fan. So I'm going to say that too. So from Joni, your biggest fangirl. Her question is actually, um, okay, she wants to know what big plans you have for the podcast break. So what you're going to do during the summer, you sort of told us already by buying the farm. And then she has a very interesting question for you. She would like to know all about your very, very first visit to Italy. So when was it, where was it, who did you travel with? everything about your very first time in Italy. Well, well, first of all, I just want to say I adore Joni. Joni is one of my all-time favorites. So she might think she's my biggest fan, but I have to say I feel the same way about her. Joni and I, not only is Joni a listener of this podcast, and she, I think, may have won the award for speeding through all five seasons faster than any other listener ever did because she very soon after I even met Joni she was like yeah I just finished the podcast I'm like well when did you start she's like oh just a couple weeks ago I mean it, it was such a fast time that she that she listens so she's like a power listener I know other others have listened very quickly as well so thank you Joni and by the way Joni is in a group class every Wednesday night I get to meet with Joni and Shelly and Veda the four of us are in this great little class together and we have so much fun we laugh and we've gotten to know Joni and what a sweetheart I look forward to sharing some Prosecco and and having some time with Joni in the future okay so your question obviously you know what I'm going to be doing this summer I'm going to be sort of doing Italy with Alessandro and we're going to be eating lots of good Italian food that Alessandro's been missing. So yeah, the summer is going to be spent doing that. Hopefully, like we said already, going down and making a decision about this farm that I've fallen in love with that I'm probably getting way ahead of myself on. But the question about my first visit to Italy, what a good question. That first visit to Italy really it's so interesting to think about because it changed everything for me for the rest of my life. And I didn't realize it, but I was such a different person back then because I was really young. And I mean, I was 21, but I was a young 21 year old. I've always been kind of a late bloomer. I always felt like I was sort of like years behind everybody that I was around. 
But then at the same time, I never really related to young people that I was around either. Like we could have fun and laugh and I was like kind of the clown and I was the one that was making everybody laugh all the time. But I always related to people that were older than me and I found more in common with people that were like twice my age. So I just, that just made for a, the kind of person that just wasn't like, I just wasn't, I don't know. I, I didn't really fit in sometimes to the people I was around. However, when I went to college and I had decided, okay, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be an orthopedic surgeon. And I'm not going to be an actor because that ship has already sailed. So that's not going to happen. And I'm going to be a landscape architect and I'm going to study horticulture and landscape architecture. I was in my, some of my favorite classes were my architecture classes because even though you're doing landscape architecture, you still have to take regular architectural drafting classes and the same kind of classes and courses that architects have to take. I was taking those. And so we had a really wonderful professor named Dr. Weiss, and he was our architecture instructor. We had several, but he was one of the main heads of the architectural department he was a lover of Europe. He was my architectural history teacher. I took two architectural history courses from him and lots of drafting courses from him, and he was just great. And there was something about this particular group of students that I happened to be studying with. There was like 10 of us, and we were just buddies. We, we got along so well. We were kind of nerdy and we were just a very diverse group of kids. Like there was, there were Mexican kids, there were, you know, farmer kids like me, there, there were city kids, like there was, there were Asian kids, like it was just this very diverse mix of students. And we kind of just got to know each other over the years. And I think from the years of like, I think from age 19 to 21, I was hanging around these kids. Well, at some point, about a year or so into our class together, we would have our teacher just laughing and, and he just enjoyed, I think he enjoyed our group of students more than he enjoyed some of his previous ones. And so at some point he said, you know, every year I go to Europe, every year I go to Europe. And he was like, the semester would end in April because we were on the semester system. So our semester would run from like January to April every year. And so in April, he would leave for Europe. And he was like, I've taken some students with me to Europe before. And if you guys would be interested in going to Europe, I can organize a group for us and I can get us some good rates and we can all go together to Europe. And so I was like, absolutely i'm in and when i was like i like raised my hand faster than anybody else i was like i'm in let's do it and everybody else was like really and i'm like okay well i guess let's go too like so like there was this group of us i think there was about nine or ten of us and we and and then even one other friend that i was in college with she wasn't in the architecture program but when she heard we were going she wanted to come too and so yeah it was just and then and then other people got their friends to come so i think the in the, the the whole group ended up being like 13 total 
kids. And so we ended up not just doing Italy, but ended up doing Europe. And we did 13 different countries in Europe. And Italy was one of my absolute favorites. One of the most transformative things that happened on that trip was, of course, I met Alessandro for the first time, which I had no idea that he was going to be an important person in my life. Like, talk about the biggest change of all. I didn't know. That was such such a small little blip on the screen of that trip. Italy was just incredible, but I was seeing the very touristy version of Italy. I mean, I did Venice. Little did I know that I was going to be living just 30 minutes away from Venice when I was walking around Venice. And fortunately, we were here in April. So we we were here at a good time to visit Italy because it wasn't crowded. Of all the cities that I visited in Italy, I really did love Rome. It was such a great experience being in Rome. We didn't hit every major city in Italy. We, we skipped a lot of Italy because we just, we were doing all of Europe. And so we kind of hit the highlights. We didn't see like Pisa. I've never been to see the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I don't think we made it even to Milan. Perugia uh, in Umbria was probably my favorite city because it was a smaller city and it was sort of a city up on a hill and it wasn't quite as touristy as some of the other cities. Yeah, we just had a blast on that trip. Me and my friends and our and our teacher who just let us be wild maniacs. Like he just sort of did his thing and enjoyed us during the day. We would go out and go crazy in the evening. And I don't even know where he ended up going. I don't even know how we didn't get lost. I don't know how we, I don't know how that trip really happened. It was kind of a blur, but we were laughing so much. We, we actually had a bus. We were on a bus for a portion of the trip being bused around Europe. And this woman, her name was Simonetta. And she was, she came up with this nickname for me. She called me Iron Boy, Iron Boy. And I was like, the reason that she came up with this nickname for me is because I was like always late getting on the bus because I was always ironing my clothes. Oh, I see. <laughs> like, and it was, it was not good. I mean, I was like, they, everyone was on the bus waiting for me and then there was these groups of, of new zealanders and australians who were also on this bus with us because they we needed to fill the bus up so they were and they were wonderful i fell in love with people from australia and new zealand on that trip and she would to embarrass me to make me not late on the bus she would like make me sing something to the whole bus <laughs> <laughs> and i was just like oh man i it was such a crazy, like, I was so embarrassed, but I was, like, singing these ridiculous songs, like, several times. I had to sing for the whole bus, and everyone's clapping and laughing, and I was, like, red and embarrassed. And anyway, but we just had a great time, and Italy was Italy was gorgeous. I, I did not know what a lasting impression Italy was, was leaving on me, and... I also loved the city of Florence. F Florence was probably my second favorite city. I would say Perugia, Rome, and Florence were my favorite cities that I visited. We didn't make it to Napoli. We didn't make it to the Amalfi Coast. We didn't make it to Cinque Terre or so many 
major cities in Italy we didn't go to, but yeah, it was great. I loved it, and it was it was transformative in a way that I didn't realize how much of an effect that trip was have, going to have on my life 15 years in the future. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Just a coincidence and now your your fate, your destiny. Wow, that is so interesting. You should write a book about it or maybe shoot a movie. <laughs> and now we have Ken from Sacramento, California. So he's the sweetest. He says that, well, of course, thank you, Nathan, for five seasons of I'm Moving to Italy. And I look forward to your weekly episodes and draw inspiration from them as your reality of living in Italy is my dream. So that's what he says about you. But the real question is, vorrei saperne di più sul periodo in cui hai vissuto a Sacramento. Che cosa ti ha portato nella mia città? E che cosa ti piace di più di questa zona? So his question was, I'm curious about your time living in Sacramento. What brought you to my hometown? And what are a few things you enjoyed about it? Mm. Such a great question. Ken is, he's great. I just really, really, really appreciate Ken. He is someone who... I've definitely really connected with, and I'm looking forward to, I don't know if it's going to be here in Italy first, or if it's going to be in Sacramento at Zocalo's or one of my favorite restaurants in Sacramento, but we're going to definitely be getting together at some point, Ken, and and I, I really appreciate your question, and I love Sacramento. Of all the cities that I've lived in in my entire life, Sacramento so far has been my favorite. And I moved to Sacramento for work mainly because I was doing a lot of work for the state capitol when I had my event design company. I was doing a lot of events for senators and people. I even did, uh, well, Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor of California. I did an event for his wife. Maria Shriver. And there was just a lot of different things I was doing. I was doing work in Napa and Sonoma and the Bay Area. And it was just really easy to be in Sacramento because I was very centrally located. And I was just able to sort of, you know, and then when I needed to get down to Los Angeles for work or fly anywhere, Sacramento has a great airport. And so it was convenient for work but I ended up falling in love with the city because I lived in East Sacramento on McKinley Park, which is just a lovely leafy area of the city where you could walk to the Capitol building if you wanted to, or ride a bike to the Capitol building, but the shops and the restaurants and the neighborhood, it was just so great. I, I made such good friends in Sacramento and Sacramento felt like home to me in a way that was so different than any other city I've ever lived in. And it's a beautiful city. Now, I know that things have changed a bit. Sacramento is dealing with homelessness like a lot of other cities in California now. And I know that that Sacramento's changed a bit since I was there, but I, I do know that it's still a beautiful city. I don't know if it's called the city slogan or whatever it's called, but Sacramento is the city of trees. 
And you wouldn't expect this of Sacramento, but one of my favorite things in the world is shady streets lined with trees. The walk up to the castle that I do every day here in Conigliano, twice a day, part of the reason why I love it so much is because the walk up to the castle has trees lining both sides of the road. Veda, you know what I'm talking about. You've mm -hmm. done that walk with me after we had dinner at the castle, you and Luca. And so I just loved that Sacramento had so many tree-lined streets. It had a little theater community, like I said, that that was my first real taste of theater. And the shopping in Sacramento, the antique shops, the vintage shops, the specialty shops, the, the fabulous little Mexican restaurants and taquerias and Chinese and sushi places. I mean, that that city is special. I got to say, Sacramento is an underrated city. I mean, just going to my local Trader Joe's was a pleasure. And you would like run into people like the newscaster on Channel 13 News. You would see Edie Lambert, you know, just shopping right next to you in in your local Trader Joe's. And so I just I just loved it so much. The friends, the people, uh, where Ken happens to live in Sacramento in the Land Park area, I believe, is one of my favorite, most beautiful parts of that city. And it's right next to Tower Cafe, which is like a little theater, a gorgeous little theater and favorite restaurants with wonderful outdoor garden seating and just eclectic, great food and like, I still crave their one of their salads that's on their menu. They have this like steak salad on their menu that is so, so delicious. I'm sure Ken knows all of the stuff I'm talking about. Anyway, just a wonderful city and I loved it so much. And I, I really can't wait to visit you, Ken, and, and have a reason to come back to Sacramento. I've got so many friends that live in the area too. So we'll have to have a, a little gathering next time I'm in, in town, and I'll be sure to let you know. Thank you so much for that question, Ken. And I know you just got back from Italy yourself. We were just actually talking just uh, a few days ago. You were writing me on Instagram. We were talking, and you were telling me how much you loved your time here in Italy. I'm sorry that we weren't able to connect while you were here, but stay in touch, Ken, and thank you for that great question, my friend. I know all your listeners, I'm sure, even the ones I couldn't reach out to because I don't know them all, obviously, love to ask a question. But now we get to one special listener who wrote like 15 questions. <laughs> She's the best. Irina, Irina from the Bay State. She has so many interesting questions for you. And I don't know if you remember, she was the one who actually started one of the Italian coaching sessions with me, asking me a question. You know, it was all kind of fun. And I used her question with you from one of my questions to you. Anyway, let's pick a few because it's going to be a long segment. Irina from the Bay State of Massachusetts, and she has the most interesting questions. I mean, I already used one of her questions uh, for you because we started one Italian coaching sessions and I was like, do you have any question for me? And I thought like, oh, I didn't understand the, you know, this verb or the grammar. And she went full on speed like I do with you with an Italian question that was so fun. And I used the same question for you on our next segment because it was so interesting. So she has a few, but uh, 
the one I like probably like the most is, what do you think is the best way to resolve an interpersonal conflict? Oh my goodness, what in the world? Why? What a great question. I don't think I'm the expert on this because I think I've got conflicts in my own life I wish I could figure out how to resolve. Here's maybe I'll share with you maybe what I've learned probably the hard way. Conflict with other people really stems from misunderstanding and people not being understood. And in, toward, in order to understand someone, you have to listen to them. And I think when we're in a conflict situation, we are so eager to tell people what we're thinking. Like, this is what I'm mad about. This is what I'm hurt about. This is what you did to me. And this is why you're wrong and I'm right. Like, it's like we're so focused on us and how we personally are right, right? But I think that if you really want to have a breakthrough with someone, you have to put your ego aside. You've got to put it away because the fact of the matter is there's two sides to every situation and story. Now, I'm not saying that there, that when you're in conflict with someone that you're always equally at fault, but there's usually equal misunderstanding at the very least. And so while you might be in the right, I think that the best thing to do would be to first ask the person that you're fighting with, try to get yourself in a calm state enough to find out what happened and why. Like ask the person in a non-threatening way, try to find out what's going on, why they behaved the way they did or why they got hurt by something you did and actually listen. Just close your mouth and open your ears and find out what did you do to maybe unintentionally hurt someone? How did you maybe misread the situation or whatever? I've learned that what seems so clear to me and what seems like it's so obvious, why can't you see this, is because we do not look at things the same way. We look at things, we look at problems, we look at conflict from our vantage point, which makes us almost blind to the other person's perspective. And if you can't put yourself and be empathetic enough to put yourself in another person's shoes, even someone who's hurt you or made you mad, if you can't put yourself in their shoes and understand where they were coming from, I don't think that you really can ever get to a place of actual resolution. And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems I have about the United States right now is people with different political opinions and views won't speak to each other. They won't listen, most of all. They will speak to each other, but they really aren't good at listening. And they they really want to just talk to people who agree with them about how terrible everybody else is. And if they're talking to someone they disagree with, they're yelling, they're preaching, lecturing, and that's just like going to get you nowhere. So I think what I've learned, and I'm still trying to learn this, is Take a deep breath, ask some questions, and really listen with an open mind and let somebody speak their piece and get it out and acknowledge then what they've said. And then they're going to be more willing to listen to you because you've just listened to them and you've just proven to them you're, what you're saying is valuable and I acknowledge it and I appreciate it. And then it's very likely that they're going to be like, oh, well, that felt so good. He just listened to me or she just listened to me. I think maybe I should offer them the same thing in return and then voila i love your optimism you know but that's a great answer and 
being listened would be the best thing for me. So you're totally right. That's a great answer, but I'm not quite sure, at least for Italians, that that works. Oh, he listened to me, didn't say a thing, so it means I'm right. Yeah. You have to sort of suspend your expectations because not just because you're getting yourself into a good place doesn't mean the other person is too. So you've got to just sort of like throw your expectations out the window. You can't expect the other person to be as respectful maybe as you're being. So yeah, I don't know. I don't have the magic. I don't have the magic answer or the best answer. I've just learned that listening and being respectful the way you'd like to be respected. It's kind of like the golden rule, like just treat people the way you'd like to be treated. We all want to be listened to. So listen. And you got so many interesting questions from your listeners because I think they can tell what kind of person you are. You shared part of your life with them. And I can tell, I mean, this question about conflict and the next one about your life. I really think that by telling us your story and telling us what you did and how you get here and putting yourself out there and being so honest, you actually showed your true self. And for example, James from Tacoma, Washington asks, to what do you attribute your courage? So he says, I've always been impressed with Nathan's courage. From being a farm boy in California to New York and now to Italy, Nathan has been intrepid in his embrace of new places and cultures and meeting them with curiosity and humor. So you see what you did here? You just show your listener who you really are and you're so brave and you have courage and now you're here and you know how to listen and acknowledge people when they're mad. People really love you. Isn't that amazing? Just because you decided to sit in front of a microphone and start talking to no one in particular. Well, first of all, James, thank you. That's lovely. That's a lovely question. I really appreciate it. As far as the courage goes, I don't have this sense of courage. I don't have this sense of like, oh man, I've like gotten to a place where I'm like so brave. I think it's a combination of like fake it till you make it. And maybe like a little bit of ignorance and a little bit of stupidity all mixed together. People thought I was crazy, for example, really crazy. And they were probably right when they, when they heard that I was no longer going to be running my event company that I'd been running for 10 years. And quite successfully, you know, it was going well. I was getting really great job offers. And there were people who were twice my age in the industry who wanted the kind of work I was getting. And, but I was miserable. I was stressed out and I was miserable. And I was like, no, I think I want to just act. <laughs> I think I want to stop making money and start acting. <laughs> that was stupid. Like that was, that's not brave. That's kind of stupid, I think, looking back on it. And I don't see myself as a brave person or a courageous person. I heard somebody say, though, that courage and bravery is not actually a lack of fear. It's a willingness to act in spite of fear. But the problem is, I'm not even smart enough to be afraid. <laughs> Because I think it takes a, a a smart person, an intelligent person to like be fearful in the first place. I'm just not even afraid. I think that, I mean, there was a time in my life that I was in, I was engaged to a woman and I was on track to make everybody in my life happy. You know, I was on track to, to keep my family happy and 
do what everybody else in my family was doing and get married and have a family and have kids and live in the same town I grew up in. And hold on, here's Alessandro calling me from the airport. Hold on. Pronto. Yes, I can hear you. I can hear you too. <laughs> yeah. I am an airport. You're at the airport? Yeah. Wow. No. How do you feel? Uh, it's good, good. Um, it was very easy, how you know, to fly from here. Amazing. You're in Tennessee still. You're not in Washington, D.C. yet. No, I will be by nine. Okay, so what time did you wake up? Uh, five. Five o'clock. Yeah. And you took an Uber to the airport? Of course. Well, guess what? You're you're sitting here with Vera and me, and we're recording our podcast episode right now. Oh, very good. Say good morning. Say good morning to Vera. Hi, Vera. I'm coming back. Sí, lo sa. Sono contentissima. Finalmente. She said. She said she's so happy you're coming back. I don't know if you could hear that. Yes. Yes. Again. 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 I was saying my plane is uh, boarding now. Oh, your plane is boarding? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, have a safe flight to Washington, D.C., your first leg of the trip. Say goodbye to Vera. Buon viaggio, Alim. See you soon. Ciao. Ciao, more. Ciao, ciao. See you later. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Safe travels. Ciao. Ciao, have you noticed that you just said I was engaged to a woman, I wanted to make everyone happy, have a family, have kids, live five minutes, away, and he called you like, what are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I was going to live just, you know, five minutes away from my parents' ranch where most of my other siblings live, and that was going to be my the direction of my life, but I knew in my heart that was not right. That was so not right. Not only did I want different things, bigger things, I just, that was wrong for me on so many levels. And I was doing that for other people. I wasn't doing it to make myself happy. And I wasn't happy. I was not going the right direction for Nathan, that's for sure. But I think that of all the brave things I've ever done in life, that was the bravest and hardest thing to call off that engagement because. I was in a situation surrounded by happy people. Like, so I was, you know, like I'm sure many people can relate to, I had a problem with pleasing people. That was something that made me happy. My, my job, my career was completely around making my clients happy. I was very good at making my clients happy. I don't think I ever had an unhappy client. I was also surrounded by family especially, but also friends and my fiance, everybody was happy except me. And so it was like really, really hard to say, in spite of the fact that everyone around me is happy, and if I do get out of this situation, it's very likely that everybody around me is going to be very unhappy for a long time or maybe forever, but this isn't right. And yeah, a year later I was in New York and everything was very different in my life and i was much happier and i was doing that play at that dinner theater in new york and i was happy as a clam and my life began to sort of open up again it was almost like i finally got more oxygen in my life and so 
Anyway, I know this is a very random, random way to answer. I can't believe I'm even answering all these questions or talking about all this stuff right now because this is the last thing I expected to be talking about this morning. But so thank you, Vera, and thank you to all of you listeners with these great questions. But you're really taking me down, down memory lane here, making me reevaluate things. But as far as the move to Italy goes, I have to say that it would have been a thousand times braver to do it like many of you are doing it or planning to do it without being married to an Italian or doing it as a single person even more so. Because I know a lot of you have plans of moving to Italy and you don't speak the language. Neither did I when I moved here, but I had someone in my life that spoke the language so I could really lean on him. So for me, I saw this move to Italy less as bravery as just and more as just pure excitement and a pure adventure. And it truly has been an adventure and I've loved it. It's also been challenging, but I think of all the things I've done in my life, this move to Italy is not necessarily the most brave thing I've ever done. Well, I'm so glad to hear you were brave enough to break from making everyone else happy but you, and that you were crazy or brave enough to move to Italy, so I finally met you, and that you're in the best place and in a good place for you now. Thank you. And you know, there are also people that don't find their forever home, or they decide that their forever home, it's in two places. I guess to have two forever homes, like I think you might know them, Roger and Danny from Mondovi or California. So here is Roger's question for you. Dopo due anni e mezzo in Italia, qual è la cosa che apprezzi di più del vivere qui? I'll get to the translation. So Roger said, I would like to know what does he most value about living in Italy now, 2.5 years later. And he also says, I re-listened to episode one so that I could refresh my memory of his original reasons. Other than marrying an Italian, of course, he had many reasons for moving to Italy. So my question is what he has appreciated most about living in Italy so far. Mm -hmm. What a great question, Roger. Ciao, Roger and Denny. It was so great having you both on the episode last week. Interviewing you was such a pleasure. And I've heard from so many of our listeners. I haven't even, I've been so busy this week. I haven't even had a chance yet to reach out. But I'm so glad to have this opportunity to tell you that I've had so many messages about your interview and everybody loved. We want to talk about bravery. We were just talking about bravery. You both are perfect examples of what it really means to be brave about moving to Italy and doing brave stuff because the challenges that you've overcome in coming here have been immense. And I'm so impressed with the two of you and the new life that you've started, sort of the back and forth life, which I think is a great balance. That's what I also plan to do is to live part of my life in Italy and part in the United States. But that's a great question. I would actually be curious to hear what Roger's answer to that is. It's probably similar to mine, actually. What do I love and what do I value the most about life in Italy since moving here? Number one, the food. Italy is famous for its food. I don't have to be afraid when I go to the grocery store and buy simple ingredients. I don't have to worry that those ingredients have been 
ravaged by all kinds of horrible toxic chemicals when you go shopping here in italy you don't have to worry about that and i've talked so much on the podcast about this i don't want to get in too deep but the peace of mind of the food in italy is incredible now i have maybe eaten at a restaurant three times since being back here in italy without alessandro but when he's in town and when we're together we do eat at restaurants fairly often and and there is no more wonderful place in the world to enjoy a meal at a restaurant than here in Italy. One of my absolute favorite, my all-time favorite meal so far in Italy has been the meal that I shared up at the castle with Vera and Luca just about a month ago. Yeah. That was that was probably easily one of my top one or two dining experiences here in Italy and I've eaten at some great restaurants but it was also partly because I was there with the two of you and we had such a wonderful dinner and it was the very first night I was still starstruck and staring at you and saying this is Nathan this is him here don't even start the starstruck business with me that's so ridiculous we we are not like that with each other and there's no star in this circle we're not about that no but I was looking across the table at you and Luca too and being like, oh my God, this is the real, this is La Vera Italia, the real Vera from Italy. I was like, it was, it was surreal, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was a magic night and we need to meet soon. So as soon as I come back from the Netherlands, we need to arrange another fantastic dinner in Tuscany. Well, because we were really missing one of the most important elements of all when yeah, we were here. He's finally back, right? He's finally almost back. So yeah, we're going to definitely have to schedule some time together, probably in Tuscany when we're going down to look at the farm and when we're, when we're on our way down to Southern Italy. We're going to definitely have to schedule some time to meet up with you guys and share a meal together. I'm so looking forward to it. Well, that was a great question, Roger. I mean, I've got, like I know you do too, there's so many things besides food. It sounds like such a silly answer, but as you know, I know you and Danny are both foodies and, you know, wine connoisseurs. So you, I'm sure you probably have a very similar answer about why you love Italy. And I know you've shared that. So great question. And Thanks again, Roger, for just being part of my Italian community here in Italy. I'm looking forward to meeting the two of you very soon and sharing that dinner that we've got planned with Vera and Luca, Alessandra, you, me, Denny. That's going to be great. We'll be able to have Roger choose the wine when we all get together. That'll be fun. We're going to have so many dinners in the future. I don't know. I don't even need a kitchen home anymore, right? We're planning all these amazing dinners everywhere. Yes. <laughs> so that was Roger's question. Now we have Dene's question. And before you end, well, let me read the question. Is If you could change anything about your journey moving to Italy, what would you do differently? Now, before you answer that, Shelly from Seattle, you know Shelly, right? She's also in our group course, has a very similar question. So I'm sort of reading the two of them together. So Danny and Shelly. Shelly uh, asked 
knowing what you know now, what are the three things you would have done differently when planning your moving to Italy? Knowing what you know now, what are the three most important things to do first when moving to Italy? So basically, Danny wants to know the one thing you would do differently, Shelly, the three things. So let's go with three and also the first three things you would do. Oh, those are both really good questions. Thank you, Denny. Again, it was so wonderful to spend some time with you last week and having you on the, the podcast was so great. This is a great question. I would be curious to hear what your answer to this question is as well, but I guess you'll have to tell me that in person. So we'll start with Denny. Denny, um, the one thing, the number one thing that I would do differently if I had to to do it over again from moving to Italy. Actually, it's a pretty easy answer. And my answer is I would have taken learning Italian much more seriously early on. I justified not focusing on Italian because when Alessandro moved to the United States, we were so focused on getting him fluent in English. So we completely ignored Italian I mean, I don't want to say completely because he was always speaking Italian around me and he was always teaching me words and things. And so I was picking up Italian, but I was doing it sort of by default. It was not a, an intentional thing. So what Denny and Roger and what many of you are doing by studying Italian with Vera or by downloading Babel and studying with Babel or even Duolingo, any other ways of learning Italian. I wish I had known about Babel language before, and I would have probably just started doing Babel language, just that. And I would have also been much more intentional about having Alessandro talk to me in Italian and teach me simple Italian, because we were, we were together, you know, since... We got married in 2016. We didn't move to Italy until 2020. That's four years, four long years that I could have really improved my Italian. And that would have made my life here in Italy a completely different experience. Yeah, I would have made life a lot easier and I probably would have made connections faster here in Italy. And for you, Shelly, hello, Shelly. And Shelly is the other member of my group class on Wednesday night with Veda. And it's been so nice to get to know you, Shelly. You're so much fun. And like I like I said before, you and Joni and I, are, we're always laughing together with Veda and having a good time. Thanks for this great question, Shelly. And I know you're in the process of planning your move here to Italy and and you're changing your plan, which is exactly what happens. You're, you're sort of changing your idea of what you want to do, where you want to be based on different things that you're learning about Italy, which is so smart to be researching Italy before you just move to Italy. Because I think that the most permanent thing you can possibly do when moving to Italy is buying property. And a thing that I did not do before moving to Italy was I didn't research, really, really research. I asked Alessandro a lot of questions, but I was asking someone who had very biased views about Italy. So... I love Alessandro. We all love Alessandro, right? But Alessandro is the most pro-Naples, pro-Campania person we, we know here because he thinks it's the best area to live in Italy because that's where he grew up. 
right next to Sorrento on the Amalfi Coast and Naples with its very vibrant, beautiful food culture and nightlife and people with such, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful place to be, but it might not be the most wonderful place for you as an American or as a foreigner. So when I would ask Alessandro questions about, well, what about this region? What about Liguria? Or what about Bari, you know, in Puglia? What about Abruzzo? What about Le Marche? What about Veneto or Lombardia? When I would ask him about these different areas, I would get these very short answers like, oh, no, you don't want to be in Sardinia because they cook their fish with onions. Like just that, the whole island is out because they... <laughs> so I would get these answers that were so, I would be like, wait a minute, you're telling me the entire island and culture where people live, it's a blue zone where people live to be over a hundred years old very regularly. It's a beautiful island. You're trying to tell me that like, that's it. That's the whole reason is just because of the onion and the fish dishes. That's why it's, off the table. So figure out your own research for yourself and figure out where you want to be and make sure you're asking the right people because you want to ask and learn about Italy in the best way you can. Now, next season, we haven't talked about this yet, have we, Vera? No, we haven't. We might as well talk about it now, I guess, because why not talk about it now? I was going to keep this a secret until next season or maybe talk about this in the final episode. But next season, season six, is going to be a season highlighting the 20 regions of Italy. We are going to interview someone from each of the 20 regions of Italy. And I think that that is so important. Vera and I came up with this plan about midway through season five where we decided that the next season should be really a deep dive into each individual region of Italy. And there are 20 regions of Italy, and there are 20 episodes per season. So it's a perfect fit. I've already got at least eight of those interviews lined up for next season. And so it's going to be foreigners. In most cases, it's going to be foreigners who move to that region and why they live there and why they love it. So... I guess what I'm trying to say is a little bit of a, a pitch for our next season. And my answer to you, Shelley, is that in doing your research, listen to season six, because you might learn some things about why you don't want to or why you do want to move to a region of Italy. And there are like, you know, the five major regions that people focus on moving to Italy. But then there's like the 15 others that are rarely discussed. And so we're going to be talking about all of them. So yeah, do your research and make sure you're talking to the right person. You can talk to Alessandro about what the best food of Italy is and why, you know, Naples is the best city in Italy and all that. But, you know, but definitely do your research and follow people. I would say follow Instagram people and YouTubers who are living in different regions of Italy and they'll be really honest most of the time and tell you what they love and what they don't love about their area. So uh, your final questions about what I would do differently before, if I was going to move to Italy again, how would I do that? How would I do that differently? One of the things that I would do differently is I would 
probably keep a journal. I've kind of done that with this podcast, but if I wasn't doing a podcast, I would have kept a journal. Now, I did start journaling, and I'm sure many of you have had the same experience where you start journaling and then it becomes a chore, and so then you kind of stop doing it after a few days or a week or two. But if you could figure out a way to start journaling from the time that you literally maybe start from the week that you leave, kind of like I did when starting this podcast, start that journal and and talk about while you're journaling, talk about what you're feeling and what you're thinking. Talk about your perspective and your mindset about what's going on, what you're anticipating, what your fears are, what you're excited about, what your plans are, and just document a little bit. Maybe sit down and do a weekly check-in and just do a weekly journal, kind of the way I did with this podcast. If you don't want to journal every day, just do it once a week. And you'll be able to look back on your progress and see how how you've changed. Because it's nice to document that and see that progress happen. When you don't document it, you sort of don't really acknowledge that you've changed and you've grown and and you almost lose the opportunity for gratitude. A lot of people talk about gratitude journals. I think they're very powerful. I do kind of a little bit of gratitude journaling, but if you can if you can keep track of your journey in Italy, I think you'll enjoy it. Maybe it'll get turned into a book. Maybe you can write a book someday. Maybe you could self-publish the book or maybe you could just get it published. But if you document it, you'll be able to revisit and be like, on the the days that you're feeling really discouraged, you could just look back at the early days and see how completely clueless you were and how much progress you've made. So I think that a journal, even just kind of a loose, casual approach to journaling, I think that could be a really valuable tool to people moving to Italy. So I think that would, if I was going to redo it, those would be the things I would do differently. So thank you for those questions, Shelly and Denny. Now, Shelly, you asked part two of your question, which is, what are the three most important things to do first when moving to Italy? So you sort of answered one already with learning Italian. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, by the way. I think it's very important to speak the language. And don't worry, you would have started the podcast anyway, because speaking the language, especially if you learn it from another country and from one person, just your coach or your husband or a special one or whatever, doesn't get you into the culture. I'm still confused by Italian sometimes. (laughs) Like, you know, people from Naples canceling a whole region just because they cook fish with onion. That's surprising. So... (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing you would do is to learn Italian and then what else? Definitely get immediately into language learning. Just just get it consistently. You know, I, I went to Italian language school. I don't rec I don't not recommend doing that. But don't expect that to make you fluent. As I've shared with you, don't let don't have your expectations sort of out of alignment and and thinking that just attending Italian language school is going to automatically make you fluent because it's not, but it will teach you a lot of things and it will be a good experience for you. So the other two things that I would say are most important to do when you first move to Italy is number one is figure out a 
person that you can be connected to here as soon as possible. Now, maybe you're in a Facebook group. I know a lot of you are in expat Facebook groups or moving to Italy Facebook groups. And find somebody who's just done what you did. Better to find somebody who's already done it a little bit, a few steps ahead of you. Or maybe someone who is in the process of doing it at the same time as you. Or maybe someone that just lives in the same region as you that you just happen to find online. I think one of the most valuable tools, you know, social media has brought a lot of negative aspects into our life. But one of the great things that they've done is they've connected people with each other. I would not be sitting here with Vera right now if it wasn't for Instagram. So it's really powerful to be able to connect with people online. So I would say find your buddy. Vera is my official buddy in Italy, whether she signed up for it or not. But I would say find your person that you can connect with and can relate to you and understand what you're going through. And also find your locals in your city and your town and start connecting with them too. Start getting onto like a first name basis and go be a regular at places. Be a regular at a coffee shop or a bar, I should say here, a coffee bar. Be a regular at a grocery store and recognize someone and say hello to them and be friendly. And so find your find your person that you can speak your own language with that can relate to what you're going through somehow. Or find and also find your local Italians that maybe don't speak a word of English and just get friendly with them because that will make you feel like you belong early. And I didn't do that very well in the beginning. So I would I would definitely say that's an important thing to do early on. And then another thing I would I would say to do early on is just make sure you have your paperwork and your life and as much as you can get in order, get it done and know what you need to do before you get to Italy. That would include like health insurance, you know, all your paperwork for being here, whether it's a visa, you know, if you've if you're working on getting your citizenship, your Italian citizenship, just make sure all that stuff is in order because that's going to make your life easier. Make sure you have an international driver's license if you if that's something that you're interested in doing. Just kind of get your life organized and your paperwork organized because there's so much of it in Italy and you need it to be you need it to be sort of functional here. Yeah, if you think you can go online and, and even sign up for a fiscal code online before you even move to Italy. So there are different things that you can do before coming here. So just do as much of the stuff as you can before you get here. You can't do it all, but do as much of that sort of stuff as you can. So that that's my answer to your question, Shelly. Thanks for that great question and see you on Wednesday, Shelly. <laughs> and speaking of your first days here in Italy, Ellen, our dear friend Ellen, wants to know when you first arrived in Italy, what Italian daily things confused you or maybe you found interesting? Because, for example, she's in Italy right now. She's looking for a place to call her forever home, right? So she's traveling, she's circling around Italy, and she saw something kind of weird, and that is plastic water bottles uh just on your doorstep right and it's yeah i know it's kind of weird i've always seen them and i always found them stupid because they don't work so supposedly these 
bottles uh, should prevent stray cats from spraying your door. But that's not true. They're not scared of plastic bottles. I don't know why this became a thing, but it's always been this way in Italy. And she needed to ask someone or she was told by someone at the end because she was like, why, why do they keep these plastic bottles outside? So what did you find confusing or interesting when you first arrived here? Mm. Well, hello, Ellen. I hope you're having a great time across Italy. I know you've kind of had your world sort of turned upside down because you thought you were going to be a Calabria girl. You thought that that was going to be, that southern region of Italy was going to be your, that was going to be your home. That was going to be where you were going to find property and you were going to love that. And sounds to me like we've only been able to talk very briefly on Instagram, but sounds like you've changed your mind and that's not what's happening anymore. So you're you're in like reset mode right now, which is a really exciting and kind of frightening and challenging place to be. But fortunately, because you're a teacher, you have the whole summer off and you're spending most of the summer in Italy. So you're going to have time. You do have time to sort of explore other regions. So you're doing the right thing there, Ellen. And Ellen's been a longtime listener and I, I've really enjoyed hearing from Ellen over the past couple of years and she's fantastic. And it's a great question, Ellen. Let's see. I think the thing that was probably the most confusing for me in Italy is how things are just done differently. The simple things that you don't know can be done differently are done differently. You don't know that it's a different order of doing things like when you go to order coffee. When you order coffee, you normally, well, it depends. Sometimes when you order coffee here in Italy, you pay for the coffee first, and then you go and pick the coffee up. That's especially common when you're at an Aldo Grill mm -hmm. and you're going across Italy, right, Vera? Like you right. go to the register first, you pay for your coffee at the register. You tell that, that person at the register what you want. They give you receipt. Then you take that receipt down to the long counter with all the other Italians. They're ordering their, their espressos, their coffees, and you, you give the receipt to the person who's making the coffee, they see the receipt, they see what's on it, and then they make your coffee, give it to you, and that's the transaction. Well, that is not the same at your local bar in your local town. In your local town, you go to the bar, you tell them what you want, they make it for you, no money exchanges hands yet, you tell them what you want, and oftentimes, then you have two choices. This is another thing that Americans don't get. Are you going to stand at the bar and wait for them to give it to you and just drink it quickly at the bar and then pay? Or are you going to go sit down and have them bring you your coffee and your cornetto to your table? And then after you're done eating at the table, then you go back to the register and pay. Those were probably, those are simple things, but those were probably the most confusing things. Of course, then, you know, putting labels on your vegetables and your fruit at the grocery store and even sometimes your bread if you're buying bulk bread you sometimes even have to weigh your bread you put bread into a bag you weigh it on this little thing 
this little scale and then you slap a label on it. Those are the kind of things that I didn't know anything about. So just- I need to interrupt you here because I understand how difficult it is in a cafe. I pay first, I drink first, whatever. I get that. But of course you need to weight your bread. How, how are you gonna pay for it if you don't weigh it? How do you pay for bread in the United States? You don't pay it, it's for free? You never weigh your bread in the United States. But how can you pay for it? I mean, if I buy half a kilo or a kilo or five kilograms, the price will be different. It's not how it works in the United States. Not how it works. We do not weigh our bread. And as interesting as it is that they do that in Italy, and I think it's even better, we would never consider weighing our bread. Bread has a price tag. It's usually in a package. If you're buying multiple pieces of bread, it's in a bag, and you know exactly how many buns you're getting because it's a bag, pre-filled, tied up with a label on it. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's why. If you go to a bakery and you know, you're going to get more of that specialty experience in the United States, you point to the things you want and you tell them, oh, I would like you know, three baguettes and I would like a loaf of sourdough bread sliced and I would like you know, uh, uh, two loaves of rustic bread and you know, some dinner rolls or whatever. They'll package it up for you, give you the price and the bags. So this idea of going to the bread area of a supermarket and some of the bread is already packaged and has a price tag on it, but some of the bread is in a bin and you reach in with a glove on your hand and you pull a little paper bag or a plastic bag out and you fill the bag of bread up and then you tie it up, you look up the number on the bin, you go over to the machine, you place your little bag of bread on the machine to weigh it and it you type in the number of the bin, it tells you how much, it prints out a little label and you put it on. So it's just one extra little step that we don't understand. You just made it so complicated. It's like like the most difficult thing to do. But yeah, that's what, that's what we do. Because you see the big bags with the buns inside, it's too much probably. What if you're single? What if you're a family of two? That's too much bread. And bread is very good when it's fresh when it comes right out of the oven. So anyway, sorry, I interrupted you because this bread thing, maybe we should have a segment about how to buy things in Italy. Well, first of all, I made it sound complicated because I took you through every single individual step of the process because that's how an American has to understand it because to us, it's just different. We don't understand that you have to do that stuff. So yeah, you're right. As an Italian, you don't even think about it. And now, like yesterday, I went and bought bread at this grocery store, Ali, where Veda's been there with me before, right? Veda, you love that grocery store. Yes, I love it. I bought pizza there. You you did. You bought pizza there. We bought a chicken there. You you yeah. bought half the chicken. I had the other half of the chicken. And that was a that's a, such a beautiful grocery store. I love that grocery store. But I was in I was in Ali and I was buying bread. I didn't even think about it. It was like such second nature to me. I just bought what I needed. Now I'm an American, so sometimes I put my bread in the freezer if I don't use it all. You probably don't do that. No, I do because I'm from Northern Italy, but I'm one of the few doing it. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. That's the American, that's the American coming out. That's the American who wants to have enough stuff so you don't have to go back to the grocery store for the next week. Whereas Italians are like, I'm going to get the bread I need for today and tomorrow. 
and I'll go back when I need more bread in a couple of days. It's a, it's a better way of doing it. But anyway. And speaking of Americans, okay, because you were like, I'm talking like an American here. As an American, I freeze my bread. Our dear friend and Wardle companion and everything else, and one of the Italian ex oh, American experts in Italy that you interviewed, Harrison Wade, has a very interesting question for you. What stereotypes do you think Italians have for Americans in Europe? And what American stereotype do you think fits you the most? Oh my gosh, what a good question. Oh geez. Well, I'll tell you, Americans definitely are stereotyped by Italians, for sure. Yeah, I mean, and rightly so, because man, there are some things that we do as Americans that just, they're so obvious, but they're not all bad, which is good. I was watching a YouTube channel recently and they were asking Italians what they thought of Americans. And it was really interesting to hear their answers. And some of their answers were that Americans were loud. Okay, well, that's probably the most common one. And another one was that Americans were always laughing and happy, which I thought was kind of a nice one. That Americans seemed lighthearted and were always smiling and laughing and that were friendly. And Italians appreciated that about Americans. So those are some of the, I don't know, those are some of some of the, I mean, there's, there's of course the ugly, there's the ugly ones, the ugly stereotypes like Americans are fat. Americans don't know when to eat at the right time. They're always wanting to eat at five and six o'clock in the evening to eat dinner. And, you know, Americans, you know, don't understand what to order at restaurants and they don't understand how to combine food with each other and wine and all this stuff. Americans are clueless when it comes to food. I think Americans also are known for being a little bit demanding because we are used to convenience and we're used to immediacy. And I think that's probably one of the most negative of all of the stereotypes. And and I don't, I know a lot of Americans are not like that, but just even last week in, a, in my interview with Denny and Roger, we we sort of touched on this about how at a different time in their life, it wouldn't have been good for them to kind of come here because they would have expected things to happen quickly and they would have been more impatient. And, and so that's a lesson I've learned is to, is to be much more patient and, and much less demanding and, and not so pushy because, you know, wanting what we want now immediately is not a very good thing to be known for. Okay, Harrison, you're uh, asking now what, what do I see myself, which stereotype do I see myself as? I don't have any idea, to be honest, what stereotype. Probably, if any, like just the clueless American. There have been so many times that I've done things that have just been so ridiculous where I just didn't have a clue. I don't know if that only applies to Americans or if it just applies to foreigners that come to Italy that are clueless because there's been so many times I've done things that I've just been so ridiculously clueless. Fortunately, I oftentimes get mistaken for being a European because I'm 
kind of fair skinned with light eyes. And my family all comes from Switzerland, Sweden, and Norway. I kind of get assumed that I'm from Europe. And that's a good thing. Uh, I'm grateful that I don't always get sort of stereotyped straight on as being an American. But yeah, I would say I just am sort of seen as a less of an American, but just a sort of a clueless foreigner. Like, and I know Italians don't ever mistake me for being Italian. They never make that mistake. They never look at me and say, oh, I wonder if he's, I wonder what region of Italy he's from. (laughs) They always know that I don't belong here or that I'm at least not from here. And they immediately start talking to me in another language. At least try to talk to me in another language if they if they can speak English they'll oftentimes try English or some people have tried speaking to me in German before yeah good question Harrison and Harrison man he is living his best life isn't he that uh, yeah I didn't have time to uh, reply to his message I thought he was in Oxford to have some fun but he's working there leading a big project while keeping his job in Rome and studying architecture? Wow. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo, Harrison. Harrison. Yeah, Harrison is, he's one of the, he's been, of our interviews that we've done, he's been one of the most popular interviews that we've done, and everybody just fell in love with Harrison, understandably so, because he's just got such a good heart, and he's just such a likable guy. Harrison, yeah, he's not only studying his doing his master's in architecture in Rome, like Vera just said, but he's also, he also just went home to to the United States, to Arkansas, to visit his family and spend a few weeks there and go to, I think, his brother's wedding. But now he's in Oxford and he's got a big crazy project. He's not just having fun this summer. He's like actually doing architectural projects in Oxford. I mean, how, how prestigious. Yeah, I mean, wow. Don't you kind of feel don't you kind of feel like lucky that we even know him? Yeah, and I feel like I'm well, way older than he and what have I accomplished in life? I mean, he's only 24, 25. How old is he? Okay, Harrison, I'm officially mad at you and I'm also a little bit jealous. <laughs> all right. Yeah, Harrison, you're showing us all up. Harrison also is you just mentioned this, Veda, that, that we, the three of us are in this Wordle group together. But Harrison just introduced a new game to us. I love it. I have a complaint, though, because I play Wordle on my New York Times app, and it's not there. That's why I couldn't find it. It's a beta version only on the website on my browser. So that's why I couldn't find it. And I already missed 24 of the puzzles because it's day 25 now, 26. Oh my God, connections. Love it. Me too. It's such a good game. So now every day we the three of us are playing the game Connections, which is this, like Veda just said, brand new game by New York Times. If you guys aren't playing Connections yet, as well as Wordle, you need to be playing Connections. It is like the best game. It's like a mind-bending game, isn't it? Amazing. It's amazing. And it, you need to think, and I don't know if it's different for points because I haven't read the instruction yet. I just sort of went and tried, but I'm already trying to find the four most difficult ones before the easiest ones. Cause it's like, let's see if I can find the four. It's just, it's like a sort of 
odd one out, but with four groups, it's an amazing game. Yeah, yeah, we should ask New York Times to be a sponsor of the podcast because we talk <laughs> about Wardle and that connection so much. <laughs> it's true. So we got to thank Harrison for introducing that to us because it's just like two days ago, he like sends us, you know, his results with Wordle and then he sends us this new thing, all these multiple colored tiles. And I'm like, what in the world is this? I'm like, but anyway, now it's our new favorite game. So thanks, Harrison. And thanks for that question. And good luck with your summer project. Looking forward to hearing how that's going with you. And that was our last question for your interview. Well, thank you guys for these questions. This was really, really fun. And Veda, how creative of you. Thank you for reaching out taking the time to reach out to all the listeners. I mean, I know you didn't couldn't talk to all of them, but some of the ones that I've connected with a lot over the last couple of years and have been listening the longest, thank you for taking the time to do that, Vela. This was very special. Glad you liked it and you're not mad at me. You should have seen your face when I said, you, you started saying, today, Vera is going to talk about, and I'm actually, I'm not. And your face, you should have seen your face in that moment. Like, what's going on here? That was officially the deer in the headlights look like. What's <laughs> happening? What just, what just, what did she just say? What are we doing? No, that was very unexpected and really fun. What a great thing. Now, I had another interview actually scheduled for today. And we had to reschedule that to next season. And it's going to be a great, great interview that we're going to be able to share with you in season six. But I, so I had something completely different in mind originally for this episode. And then when that interview canceled, I had no idea what I was going to be doing. And voila, Vera comes up with this surprise and it's like so perfect. So this is great. This was a lot of fun. Thank you all for those questions. And thank you, Vera, for organizing this. What a special treat. Thank you for being so amazing and making us want to know more about you. <laughs> well, I don't know if people really want to know more about me. I think that hopefully they want to know more about Italy. And I just happen to be the vehicle helping them learn about Italy. But I also have to say, I love learning about you, all of you that are listening to this. When you reach out to me and you tell me your stories, not a single one of your stories is identical. Each one of the stories that you share with me are so unique. And I'm just like, wow, we all have this desire in common about moving to Italy, but we all are coming at this same common thing from such different places, such different backgrounds, such different political and religious backgrounds, different parts of the world, not just the United States. We're always talking about the United States, but it's not just the United States. It's so many different countries in the world. I hear from people from everywhere regularly and different ages and different chapters of your life. People that are single, people that are married, people that have families, people that don't have any of that. And it's just, it's just a very interesting group of people. So I just absolutely adore each of you. And I just love the fact that you share with me as well. When, I mean, doing interviews with listeners and people that have moved to Italy is probably my favorite part. Besides sharing this podcast with Vera and having her come along and, and do this with me every week, that has been such a unexpected, wonderful bonus. 
and you're going to experience those when you move to Italy. You're, the unexpected things that you don't have on your radar yet that happen to you once you move to Italy, those are going to be the best things. Vera is an example of the most unexpected, pleasant surprise that could have ever happened to me moving to Italy. So thank you, Vera. I just... I love you to death, Veta. You know that. You and Luca are like my people. Yeah. I can't wait to meet you again. Come on. Come here. Come to Amsterdam. We need to meet. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like I do feel like hopping on a train or a plane or just hopping in the car and just driving up to Amsterdam and hanging out with you guys for a little while. Maybe Alessandra and I will surprise you guys and just come up there. That will be amazing. Vera, thank you so much for this wonderful special episode. And we have one episode left for this season. And then it's summer break. Yeah. And you're going to be spending that summer break in Amsterdam. And I'm going to be spending it Lord only knows where. Definitely <laughs> definitely not eating fish and onions in Sardinia. Oh, no. God forbid. <laughs> All right, Vera. Well, I can't wait to be back here with you next week for our final episode of the season. Mitches, vi vediamo la settimana prossima. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Talk about an unforeseen turn of events. I mean, that was so crazy. I can't believe that that happened. And I can't believe I talked so much. And I really can't believe that you all were in on this. But I loved your questions. And I normally don't like to talk so much about like my personal life and me. I like to talk really specifically about what's going on here and things that are related to Italy, but you guys were curious about some things, and so it was really fun sharing some of those things with you. So all of you who participated and gave some questions to Vera and worked with her, thank you for being part of that, and for all of you who didn't have the opportunity to share questions just send me a question. If you have a question, and I'll answer it for you on air. You always have the ability to send me a question and say, I would like this answered. I don't know about this, or you've never touched on this topic. Could you could you maybe help us out with this? You know, we're trying to figure out our plans for Italy, and we don't know, and we're wondering how you handled the situation. Just ask me, and I'll be happy to cover that on the show. Vera, you got me. So... Good job to you, Vera. Thank you so much. That was really fun. And I'm going to have to think of a really good surprise to get you in season six because you surprised me. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to do the same for you. We've actually got one episode left for the season. So maybe I'll figure out something to do in this final episode. Well, that brings us to our surrounding sounds. But before we get into the surrounding sounds, I'd like to quickly thank our sponsors, Babel Language and ExpressVPN. Babbel Language is an excellent supplement if you are trying to learn Italian or any language. A lifetime membership is the best deal. You save 55 to 65% depending on the holiday deals that they're running. Every holiday they run a deal and you get 55% off just by being a listener of this podcast. So go to imovingtoitaly.com and you can save a bunch of money and get language learning for life. Get their lifetime membership. That's the best. You'll never have to pay for language learning again. Also, ExpressVPN. I use ExpressVPN every single day. My computer, my phone, everything. If 
I'm going to watch a streaming service or if I'm going to use public Wi-Fi, which I regularly do, I feel so much more secure and safe using ExpressVPN. It only comes up to about $9 a month and you're protected anywhere you travel in the world. It's a great thing to have while you're at home or while you're traveling. It's just a great thing. And it's very affordable for the peace of mind and what it gives you. If you're planning to travel or move to Italy, you're going to need a VPN. It's going to be absolutely essential. So go to imovingtoitaly.com, check out the links to ExpressVPN, and you get three months for free when you sign up with our links on the website. So thank you to our wonderful sponsors. All right, well, that brings us to our surrounding sounds for this episode. Today's surrounding sounds are just sounds that happen around here during summer. I go for walks every evening, and in the evening, during the summer, these are some of the sounds that you hear. It's some frogs and those cicadas, those insects that come out, and they do that kind of cricket sound. It's very, very summery. So anyway, these are a couple sounds from my walks in the evenings. Enjoy these surrounding sounds, and I'll be back afterwards to say goodbye.
hope you enjoyed those sounds from northern Italy here. Those summer sounds of the insects and the frogs. I love that. Thank you for coming back and sharing our second to last episode for this season. I'm looking forward to our final episode and I'm already looking forward to coming back and being with you this fall. As Vera and I shared with you, we've got a great and really, really interesting topic for next season. So I'm looking forward to being back in September and sharing those with you. Many of you are traveling to Italy right now and traveling and doing wonderful things this summer, even if you're not able to make it to Italy. So whatever you're doing with your summer, I hope it's wonderful. And I hope you're having a fantastic week. Wherever you are listening to the sound of my voice, I hope you are healthy and well. And I look forward to being here with you next week for our final episode of season five. So until then, take care. God bless. Ciao, ciao, ciao.